from Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What marvelous words we have just heard. And it would be such a shame if, if these words just passed over us. So, Spirit, Spirit, take them and birth life in every heart in this room. For God, you are not distant, but you have rent the heavens and come down. You have shown yourself, you have made yourself visible, and what sometimes seems like terrible silence and hiddenness from you, it's all broken in the face of Jesus Christ. 
Yes, may we have eyes to see it this evening. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, we also were in Exodus. Exodus chapter 16, and we were marveling there at God's great gift of bread that was sent from heaven to sustain our souls. And this evening, evening we move forward in Exodus to Exodus chapter 33, as we just heard Steve Covell read. And here we see another incomprehensible gift that God has given. The ability to see God face to face. And so I know that these aren't your stereotypical Christmas passages, but there is power here. There is something that is so pertinent to our Christmas season. So we heard from Exodus 33, verses 12 through 23, that Moses and Yahweh, they have this special relationship. Right before that passage in Exodus 33, sadly, Israel had abandoned God, and they built for themselves a golden calf, put all of their golden jewelry together, and Aaron said when he was confronted about this, we put all of our gold into a fire, and a calf came out of it. And they ended up worshiping this calf, which was a sorry return to the gods of Egypt, going back to their old slave masters. And so in response to that idolatry, God commands Israel to leave Mount Sinai. His presence is manifest up on top of the mountain in the clouds and the smoke and the fire and the thunder. And he tells Israel to leave for their idolatrous abomination. It was a physical separation that was meant to symbolize the chasm that separated man from God, a chasm of sin that kept man from God. But Moses was different. He was up on Sinai when that calf came out of the fire. So alone among all Israel, Moses had not worshipped the calf. He, he wasn't a perfect man, but he indeed had given everything to follow God and leave everything behind to follow God in humility and faithfulness. It's why God said to Moses those amazing words of Exodus thirty-three twelve: I know you by name. And you have found favor in my sight. Imagine hearing that from God. Moses heard it. It's another way for God to say to Moses, I love you. I know you. And so how distraught was Moses at the thought of having to leave Sinai, of having to be separated from this God who he loved, who loved him. And so he pleads with God, we see there in Exodus 33, essentially saying, even though we have to go, would you come with us? Don't separate yourself from us forever. Listen again to the words that he says. This is verses 15 and 16. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? I wonder if you can hear the longing in Moses' voice. He wants 
more than anything to be in the presence of God. He wants to be distinct, not because of his position or his bloodline. He wants to be distinct because God is with him. God loves him and he loves God. That's what he wants. Without him, he is, without God, Moses is nothing. Israel is nothing. All of them. They're nothing on their own. God is their purpose and God is their joy. He is their hope, their peace. And so what is life separated from him? And then the Lord said to Moses in verse 17, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Even though man could not be with God, because God loved Moses and knew him by name and found favor in his sight, God would go to Moses. It's an incredible affirmation of love. And, and I wonder, as Moses heard those words from Yahweh, how overwhelming it must have been to him, incredibly affirming. And I imagine this, this flood of tears and involuntary buckling of the knees in awe and wonder as he worships this Yahweh who says, I know you by name. I will go with you. What a swell of love. And then with such boldness, in the, in the context of that flow of love, this surge of love flowing in both directions, Moses asks something that is stunning in verse 19. Please, show me your glory. And God's response is without hesitation. It doesn't even skip a beat. He says, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place where you shall stand in the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So when God says to Moses, man shall not see me and live, we need to understand that, that this is because of sin. Sinful man cannot see God, cannot be in God's presence and live. Our lives would be extinguished, for God is perfect Holy, he is the very essence of what is true and good and righteous. And we, on the other hand, we are shot through with arrogance and selfishness and lusts and brokenness. Scripture says in multiple places, our God is a consuming fire. So if we sinners were to be suddenly exposed to the unfiltered majesty of the Almighty God, it would be like a cotton ball cast into the sun. And so it's a mercy. For us who are born in our sins, we children of wrath, as Paul writes, it is a mercy that God hides himself from us, lest we be consumed. I mean, should we be born and then immediately destroyed? Because of the unfiltered presence of God? 
So one reason for the hiddenness of God is to allow us to live, to give us the opportunity to turn from our disposition and our choices, to turn to God and plead with him, plead with God, show me your glory. Make a way for me. And when God unhesitatingly, almost eagerly answers Moses and answers him positively that he will go with Moses, it proves that God has prepared a way for us sinners to live in his presence. For Moses, it was hidden in the cleft of a rock, kind of smashed into this little crack in the rock, and God placed his hand on Moses as he walks by And then as he walks by, he removes his hand so Moses can see the back of Yahweh so he would not be consumed. On the next day, it happened. Moses went up Mount Sinai just as God described. He met with God and Moses met as friends. And Moses beheld the glory of God, even if that glory was restrained or filtered. It was an experience that was so incredibly powerful, this glory that he observed, even the restrained glory, even the backside of God. It was so powerful that something extraordinary happened to Moses. He He had begun to transform, or maybe he had begun to be consumed. In Exodus chapter 34, we read, when Moses came down from Mount because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. So after beholding this restrained glory of the Lord, Moses was radiant, literally glowing, His skin was shining. But in time, that glow faded. The shine diminished. Eventually, it disappeared, and Moses no longer needed to cover his face. He just looked like anyone else. But he, all the people of Israel, would never forget the day when Moses saw God and it transformed him. Even if that glory was restrained, which Moses saw, even if Moses in that moment teetered on the very edge of destruction, but for the saving hand of God. And throughout their generations, Israel would long for a day, long for the day when God would show his glory again. We see it written all over the scriptures. The people struggling with the hiddenness of God. Why? Do you hide yourself from me? Where are you? David, Israel's greatest king, knew this struggle all too well, and he writes in Psalm 27, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. So hide not your face from me. 
And then one of the greatest prophets, Isaiah, he has this expression, this, this torrent of longing to see God. And he writes in Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles the brushwood, that the nations might tremble at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. For you have hidden your face from us. And scripture is filled with this yearning to see God, to be in his presence. And then mixed in with those yearnings are these prophetic whispers Promises that one day God will indeed come. And this time, when he returns, when he shows himself, it's not so one man alone can see it. It's so all flesh can see the glory of God. Again from Isaiah, this time chapter 40. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. If you're with us regularly on Sundays, then you know that these are the very words that John the Baptist quotes as he prepares for the prophesied revealing of the glory of God. And in fact, it was one of our Jesse Tree readings this morning too. It started with a seed of glory planted into the womb of a virgin. It was a glory that was then born into obscurity and wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. It was a glory that wept, that laughed, and he was moved with compassion and he touched the untouchable. He loved the rejected. He overturned the tables of the thieves. And he died in the place of sinners. And then he killed death. And he broke the grave. And he rose to life everlasting. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth. The unfiltered glory of God. As we heard Ryan read. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. From Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell." That, that is what Christmas is about. That that quiet night, no one expected, that was the night that God rent the heavens and came down. The night that unfiltered glory of God began to dawn upon the earth. And even now, even now, on this candlelit night, The glory of God shines upon us in the face of Jesus Christ. Can you see it? That glory. Can you see God 
in the face of Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, the one who holds and sustains your life in this moment? Or do your eyes only see the candles that prick through this darkness? I pray everyone here, all of us tonight, that we together speak the words of Moses that he spoke to God. Please, show me your glory. God has made a way for us to see him and live, and it's not just his back, and his glory is no longer restrained. May we all in this moment see with crystal clarity the radiant glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And if we do, and when we do, then we shall shine. We shall be like him, forever transformed from one degree of glory to another. And we all, writes Paul, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Moses shined, but it faded. But when we look upon Christ, there we receive a glory that does not fade, that will never fade. Look upon the Son, who is the light of the world, and then we, who are together in Christ, we become the lights of the world. Shining in this dark world, radiating the glory of Christ. And as we gather, we shining people become an incandescent city on a hill, one that cannot be hidden, one that will not be hidden, and even in this dark room tonight is brilliant with the glory of Christ. God has indeed rent the heavens and come down And we see his face even on the darkest of nights. He is the bright and morning star. He is the light of the world. He is Jesus Christ, our King. And we remember this night when that King was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Let's worship him in prayer. All praise to you, Jesus. All blessing and glory and honor and power, all wisdom is yours. And you are worthy, worthy to receive all of our worship, all of our lives. Yes, you have given yourself to us. And now let us give all that we have, all that we are unto you. Christmas is not a one-way giving, but two. Father, take our lives. Make them your own. As we have read, change us from one degree of glory to another to to reflect the very image of Jesus Christ. We thank you again for that incredible gift. We praise you. We worship you. May every heart worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.